Tina told me she had plenty of time to say her confession today. Not that she was the one complaining about not having time. But I don't know why she mentioned that other than that. But anyway. Well, uh, Tyler and John and I are having a wonderful time. Uh, we all were, have been aware of just, just taking an opportunity to settle into a book like Galatians and to engage it Sunday to Sunday and hopefully during the week as well. And just, uh, it's, you know, it's one of those great uh, pinnacles of, of Pauline thought and wisdom and in fact you can you can pretty much uh, as you try to understand Paul and his thought as he seeks to uh, teach us of Jesus um, Romans is the expanded version of Galatians or you might say Galatians is the abbreviated version of Romans and they're a wonderful complement to each other because you can read Galatians in its source shortened form and it's easier to get at and then you really get kind of bogged down in some of what he's trying to say. And you can go to Romans, and it gets uh, opened up and expanded further, explaining, you know, Scripture, interpreting Scripture. And so it kind of opens it up more, but uh, then it gets kind of almost too open, so you go back to Galatians to just sort of see it succinctly. Uh, wonderful, wonderful, marvelous two letters. And uh, so we have the privilege of uh, particularly focusing on Galatians right now. Remember, uh, when we began a few weeks ago, we're in this six-week uh, walk through this this summer, um, I offer to you the thought that uh, Paul has three questions that he intends to answer between, from the beginning to the end of Galatians. The question of authority in chapter 1 and 2 is how do we know what to believe and how do we know whom to believe? Because Paul's own authority has been challenged and his own word, his own teaching has been challenged. And either he's right or he's wrong, he's saying. And it is a matter of life and death whom you believe and whose teaching you believe, his or the ones who have come after him. There's a huge trap waiting for those who believe in those who came after Paul. But we moved on from there, and uh, Tyler has done such an admirable labor here in this church, and I'm sure John has in the church building. Uh, the question of salvation, it's the question of life. How can we get right with God? Receive his forgiveness, his pardon, his restoration. So Tyler uh, um, has been expostulating on that here at Endor Hall. But just the words themselves from Scripture tell us, uh, Paul will say, our Tyler's sermon a week ago, we know that a person is not justified, which means made right with God. Um, that a person is not made right with God by simply observing the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. Because if you believe you are going to be made right with God by observing the law, you will find over and over again you have failed to keep the law, so you continue to cause offense and alienation with your loving Father in heaven who could not love you more and will not love you less, but your sins separate you from Him. And by trying to keep the law, you will find that you cannot keep the law or if you begin to think, you know, I'm actually pretty good at keeping the law. Those folks are the murderers and the cutthroats and the abusers of, of uh, you know, dishonest and all that. I'm not really that bad. I'm a pretty decent dad. I'm a pretty decent businessman. I'm a pretty decent teacher. I'm a pretty decent father. And you go on and on and on. And meanwhile, that old heart just gets more and more puffed up. And, yep, I'm feeling pretty good. Look at all those lousy people. They aren't near, near as good as I am. And... And so that's the other way the law creates a disablement for us. 
is uh, we are where we can't get, get it done, so who will deliver me from this situation? Or we think we're getting it done well as well as anybody. Not Mother Teresa, but I'm sure not Adolf Hitler. Pretty good, though, for around here in Somerville. And uh, God is just shaking his head as he sees the arrogance and the, the self-centeredness uh, get more and more multiplied. So the stakes are high here because there's only one way out, not two ways. Sometimes I try to think of ways to uh, describe this wrestling match, and I, I suspect it's a lifelong wrestling match, really, between law and grace. When um, I hear this passage, this is a, a, where chapter 3 begins. We heard the reading where chapter 3 ends. Uh, Paul still is exercised about this dilemma with these churches in Galatia. There are several of them in that region. So he says again, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? How, do you? how do you get so far off base? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. His self-offering, his offering of his life for yours. Before your very eyes, this was clearly the picture was given to you. And you got it. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Now, here's a wonderful key as well. The third person of the Trinity is a primary player in the life of the disciple. And yet, sometimes we tend to be in a church where we focus on God the Father, God the Son, and we kind of let the God the Holy Spirit kind of peter out. But think of this. Here he says, in the context of law and grace and faith, his next question is, did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? So some kind of transaction took place that was life-giving and empowering in such a way that, that a person who was a follower of God, perhaps a Jew or a Gentile, but something more happened to them. Did you receive the pneuma, the breath of God, the wind of the Spirit, the Spirit by observing the law, by trying harder, by doing more, or simply by believing what you heard? Was there a magic, mystical, mystery moment in your life, he's asking them, when all of a sudden the scales fell from the eyes, the heart had a meltdown, and you saw what you'd never seen before, your Savior and Lord Jesus, clearly portrayed upon the cross, offering himself in love for you, substituting himself and promising you deliverance. And Paul's saying, and did you receive him and his deliverance? Did you receive the Spirit? Now, this thing about the law is a vexed thing. And I asked Luke at the very last moment, I didn't know if he could find a 1959 Buick convertible to put on the screen just for a visual. And no way, right? Okay, that's all right. You have to visualize it. I mean, this, this is one of those tackiest of all cars. Uh, it was white with red interior. It was a convertible. It's the first car I ever owned. And uh, it was actually my, uh, my family car with the engine dead in it. And so uh, Bartow Collins, my hero mechanic of my young days, who had a garage behind the grocery store where we shop, you know, small town Rock Hill, just like small town Somerville, and Bartow found a used engine for $100. 
and put it in the car, and the total cost, maybe the engine was $200, and he charged $100, but for $300, I got my first car, because Dad let me have the, the, the rest of it. So that was the car that I drove off to Sewanee. And, uh, you know, the 59 Buicks, and I know it was a long time ago, and some, but huge fins. I mean, it had fins like it could fly. And long, 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 long. And um, so I, I couldn't have been, you know, any first car you're proud of, but um, a convertible, I was pretty excited. And um, red interior, I was pretty excited. Red carpet, I love red. It, you know, it had all true, true marks. And this car, and it fascinated many a date, as I was encouraging a date to sit closer to me, is um, it didn't start with a key. It's the only car, the only car I've seen, I know there's some now again, but that, that Buick, um, the ignition was, you, you just had it turned on and nothing happened. I've never heard of a car doing this except for this 1959 Buick. And the way you started it is you pushed down on the accelerator halfway, and it would turn over. So I would market this on dates as my magic car, and that I could command it to start. And so it was a little bit dark, so they could not see my foot moving. And so I said, that's a magic car. It, you know, I just... You know how you're trying to impress a girl, you know, you ever, and with your car, and it's your new car. So, so no, I just say, uh, I, I don't remember all the words they use exactly, but I would say something. I might even say, you know, abracadabra, car, start. How'd you do that? I said, I didn't. I just give it commands. But anyway, this was the car that I took to Suwannee my freshman year to play college football. And... Uh, I was excited, and I was scared out of my wits. You all know me as a shy introvert, so I went off by myself. My mother and father did not go with me, carrying my bags into the dorm. All by myself, appearing early at Sewanee for miserable, hot summertime, two-a-day football practice. Um, And I I actually was supposed to be at 3.30 p.m. for the first practice. And so I left early that morning. First time I'd ever driven to Sewanee by myself, about a seven-hour drive from Rock Hill. Uh, it, was getting, it was going to be close, but I was going to get close to 3.30. I actually saw somebody on the side of the road, 50 miles from, Chatt- uh, from Suwannee near Chattanooga, who had a flat tire. Um, I, uh, I stopped and helped them. And I, just, I think it was a person by themselves, and it may have even been a woman. And I just thought I was, you know, I was being really a very noble 18-year-old, really. So I stopped and uh, fixed the tire, and I ended up being 20 minutes late to football practice. And it was downhill from there. I encountered the law. Where have you been? Practice at 3.30. Go get your uniform. Get out on the field. After practice is over, Lumpkin, stay. Practice started at 3.30 today. But, but I was trying to help, and I stopped, and practice started at 3.30 today. You know how the law goes? <laughs> yes, sir. Start running sprints. You know, zit, 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 zit. So that was my reward for helping that person on the road. But that's the way the law is. It, it is uncompromisingly beautiful. Brutal, I mean, not beautiful. <laughs> Let me say, brutal, I said. Uncompromisingly brutal. So, you know, I worked all through that. And um, to say I had a football season, came back the next year for football. Do you think I got there on time the next year? I did get there on time. It's a long drive. It's an all-day drive. I was trying to make as much money as I could from Bowwater, so I'm trying to leave as late as possible. But also by, you know, finish that job and get packed and then leave early in the morning. But I was there by like 3 o'clock, same practice as I would, 3.30 practice. I was there. I was ready to go and uh, very much under the law. 
Well, that year I got very sick with mononucleosis after I'd been there for a week. I was in the hospital for 10 days, and I, was, I couldn't play football for the season. I couldn't be on contact sports. So it came to year three of doing this, and I arrived on time. Um, I had a full season, and lo and behold, albeit small Division II football, I, was, uh, I started my, uh, that, that year in football, finally, uh, started defensive end. And so I was excited, and my fortune was being getting to turn, and I'm, you know, there's a lot of law in football, too. So I, I was doing all, you know, you got to do this, you got to do that, curfews, every, you know, discipline, everything. So by then, we began to hope for a better season than we had had because our first year, we went, won two games. And our second year, the one I missed anyway, we won two games. And our third year, we won three games, and we were all coming back. And so this was a year, at a minimum, we were going to have a winning season. We were really looking for our target was, you know, aiming for being undefeated. And so um, some of the guys began to talk about when you're coming back for uh, that third season. Um, I mean, you know, the fourth season, when when are we going to come? And so 3.30 on Tuesday or whatever it was, and I said, why don't we come on Friday? Why don't we come on Friday we can practice for three days together, and then, then we'll be ready for practice. And we'll be coming, we'll have our heads on our shoulders right, and so on and so forth. So that year and the year after that, I ended up having five seasons of football there because that was a redshirt year, essentially. So I played an extra year. So for the next two seasons, the senior leadership uh, came in early, two or three days, did our own running and everything, and, you know, running all over campus and, you know, doing stuff. And... Uh, why do we do that? Was it the law? It was not the law. The law said we had to be there at 3.30 on Tuesday. What made us be there on Friday, the Tuesday before, I mean the Friday before that Tuesday, and begin working out ahead of time? Because a conversion had taken place, and we were no longer under oughts and should kind of law thinking. We were under, no, we want to do this. This is worth it to us. So it actually meant more work, and more investment, and more uh, commitment, but it was being done with joy and gladness. Was there a reward for that? Well, we did have a winning season that next year. We were five and three instead of three and five. That was pretty exciting, and uh, I don't know what the last year was. Maybe it was, I don't know. Doesn't matter, does it? Um, So at any rate, I'm just trying to offer illustratively what Paul is trying to describe as something that plagues us in all through our lives. It still does to this day for me. I, I think I am still sometimes a foolish Galatian that's been bewitched again by the law and saying, Mike, you ought to do that. Mike, what will they say? Mike, you should do this. And say, Lord, what would you have me do? I only want to do what pleases you. What is that? So Paul is uh, trying to get all that here in this third chapter. And he says it is related to, in a sense, divorcing ourselves from the law and marrying the Holy Spirit. And that the Spirit becomes an empowering agent within us that is wholly transformative. So he will write here in this third chapter, Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Well, I mean, you could say, I mean, how did... um, how do we get from uh, the ought and want in that football scenario? Uh, how do we move to, uh, because we began to believe in our coaches and in ourselves too. And so um, 
uh, it was through that believing that the law kind of was diminished and there was a new kind of motivational energy, if, if you will, very similar to this kind of Holy Spirit kind of conversation we're having. So he, he, just, he just warns, or are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? That's back to the law again. Have you suffered so much for nothing if it was really for nothing? You're doing all this under the law. Um, you can, it, there's something much better. Back to the Spirit again. I just want to emphasize this thing about the Holy Spirit. We have got to rediscover and rediscover and take a hold of in one way or another for our lives. Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles? So there is a benefit to knowing His Spirit released in our life and work miracles. In the book of Acts, they will talk about signs and wonders accompanying them all through their uh, discipleship lives. And does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law, because you're just a good law-abiding person, or because you believe what you have heard? Critical thought here, critical distinction about how we are to live as Christians. So let's come now to these latter verses today as we wrap this up, because uh, I realize I, 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 I want it. I could take 90 minutes on this chapter, I believe, and, uh, but I would probably put you to sleep. But there is more than 90 minutes worth of thought here, so we can't do it all. But um, uh, think of this then. Paul, on this law topic, verse 22. But the Scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. I think we kind of get that. The whole world is a prisoner of oughts and shoulds. Um, You know, Paul tells us everywhere, um, the law is holy and right and good. Uh, the The law is what makes us aware of sin. We wouldn't know what was bad unless the law told us, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not commit adultery. The law helps us. Um, but the law stimulates us to do that which we ought not to do, Paul says. When we are told not to do something, we want to do it all the more. Eat less. You just made me more hungry. That's, the law stimulates us to sin, to our desires. And Paul goes on and says, And it has not a zero, no enabling power to help us. It can tell us what the right is and what the good is, but it cannot help us, and in fact, it even stimulates us to go against it. And so what Paul says is those who live only to keep the law, this would be in, Romans, in the Roman chapters, we'll say more about this, um, will fail, and they will fail everyone around them, either by failing to keep the law or becoming so self-righteous and arrogant that you just hate to be around them. So, the law is in place now, today, primarily for those of the world who do not believe to be used to find them guilty and prosecute them against the law because they have no desire to embrace faith, belief, and the empowering conversion possibilities of the Holy Spirit. But for us, it is different. These verses here. The Scripture declares the whole world is a prisoner of sin. But look at verse 23. Before faith came, we were also held prisoners by the law. So the world is held prisoners by sin. We've been held prisoner by sin. 
But if you only take a hold of the law as the Jewish people did, you are now merely have changed your location, but you're still in prison. Now you're a prisoner to the law and to oughts and shoulds and guilt and shame. But the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. Lord, I give up. I want to be good. I've tried to be good, and I still fail. I failed last night, Lord. I lost my temper. I failed this morning, Lord. I said I was going to get up and read the Bible, and I didn't. I slept in. I failed because I watched that show that I said I wasn't going to watch anymore. Lord, I wasn't going to look at any more porno, and I did this week. I mean, it goes on and on and on. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. In desperation at the end of our rope when we have no more control and no more options. So that we might be made right with God by faith. You cry out, help me God. Lord, save me. I can't do it without you. Where are you, Lord? Lord, come and change me because I can't change myself. I thought I had free will. I thought I chose when I smoked a cigarette. No, the cigarette chooses when it's going to smoke me. I thought I chose when I was going to have a drink of alcohol. No, the alcohol bottle chooses when I'm going to have a drink of alcohol or pornography or lose my temper or cheat or it goes on and on. So the law was put in charge to lead us to desperation. This resounding sentence here at the end, it resounds in the 8th chapter of Romans in even a more expressive, expansive way. But for today, now that faith has come. Belief. I believe, Lord Jesus. I believe in your cross and in your death for me. I believe, Lord. Now that faith has come, the Holy Spirit is here. And that spirit seeks to land right smack dab into your heart to be an empowering agent. Seek him, ask him, look for him. The gifts of the spirit will come. The fruit of the spirit will come. The power of the spirit to overcome all obstacles and all temptations will come. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I am free at last. Paul will go on for there after talking about how are we saved? How do we get right with God? And once we are, the third and last question of this letter, holiness. How do we get control of our self-destructive desires? How do we live a life of love and righteousness? Stay tuned for the rest of the story. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the peace of the Lord be always with you. Thank you.